So, sorry, just starting again, we're going to get up to date on coronavirus. And in Italy, the coronavirus death toll has jumped from 463 to 631 in one single day. There are 10,000 or more cases throughout the country. This is as of 5.15 on 10th March 2020. And the jump in deaths is a 36% rise in one day, and the largest in absolute number since the infection was first noticed on February 21st. This is according to Italy's Civil Protection Agency. Some 877 patients were in intensive care, up from 733 on Monday. The number of patients who recovered has also risen, stood at 1,004 on Tuesday as opposed to 724 the day before. And according to a journalist, Italy is not Europe's coronavirus hotbed. It's just the first country that snapped. So these rising numbers come on the day the nationwide quarantine imposed by Prime Minister Giuseppe Conte went into effect, closing off Italy's borders. All public gatherings, including sporting events, have been banned and civilian movement has been restricted. Schools and universities have been shuttered all the way through April 3rd, and that is obviously not good. Now, Italians must follow rules and stay home to stop coronavirus disaster, according to uh, Dr. Giacomo Grazelli. And this is, uh, let me just get the date on this, March 9th. So this came out of um, the news yesterday. The hospital system in Lombardy, the region around Milan, it's very rich uh, and modern. It's very stressed, he says. We have around 900 intensive care unit beds in the region, and since the first case came out on February 21st, we've admitted to ICU more than 600 patients. So we have increased our ICU beds capacity by about 30%, and we are planning to increase further by 50%, but again, we admit to the ICU around 40 to 50 patients a day. About 10 to 20% of the positive people require ICU admission, and they are all seriously ill. And um, the, this is an interview. The reporter says that is considerably different than what we've heard from China or Iran, where it's a smaller percentage of people who end up in ICU. Do you think it's because, if some have said, you have an older population in Italy, more people have underlying health problems? Is that contributing? He says, I don't know that's a possible explanation. The median age of the people admitted to ICU is 65 years old compared to about 50 in China. He says, in the last, let's say, 7 to 10 days, we've seen an increase in the number of younger people admitted to ICU. So that is uh, quite a big deal. Now, escalating things in uh, Italy... So Italian Prime Minister announced the whole country will be placed into lockdown as the European nation struggles to handle the spread of the deadly coronavirus. The extended measures, originally only aimed at at the region of Lombardy, now come with hefty fines and the threat of being jailed for those who refuse to comply. That is really something. So Italian MP Lia Quartapelli told BBC Radio 4 Today program she hopes the sanctions will help get the full cooperation of the public. She says, we are seeing that people are increasingly understanding that they have to behave differently. We put in place fines and the possibility of people being jailed if they break the rules. And uh, that is uh, quite, quite something. Uh, it's, it's quite, quite harsh with the, um, with the Italians. Uh, but, 
you've got to be decisive with these kinds of situations. Now, I had talked in the past uh, about some of the um, data around incubation periods and air travel and so on. So there's a new Chinese study, and again, stuff coming out of China, like a lot of stuff with this, you can take it with as many grains of salt as you see fit. Uh, remember, of course, I'm no doctor at all, of course, and so please check all of this stuff for yourself. I'll put the links to all of this in the show notes. But here's a new study. Coronavirus can travel twice as far as official, quote, safe distance and stay in the air for 30 minutes. So authorities have advised people to stay one to two meters apart, like, I guess, Christian side hug. But the researchers found that a bus passenger infected fellow traveler sitting 4.5 meters away. That's around 15, 15 feet. So a reasonable sized great white shark. The scientists behind the research said their investigation also highlighted the importance of wearing face masks because of the length of time it can linger. So uh, there's a little map of the bus, and uh, it really is quite astounding. So the work was based on a local outbreak case on January 22nd during the peak Lunar New Year travel season. A passenger known as A boarded a fully booked long-distance coach and settled down on the second row from the back. The passenger already felt sick at that point, but it was before China had declared the coronavirus outbreak a national crisis. So A did not wear a mask, nor did most of the other passengers or the driver of the 48-seat bus. Right, So 48 seats, and he's right, second row from the back. So China has closed-circuit television cameras in all long-distance buses. And this was quite helpful to researchers, though, of course, not to other people on the bus. So the researchers wrote in a paper published in peer-reviewed journal Practical Preventive Medicine last Friday said, it can be confirmed that in a closed environment with air conditioning, the transmission distance of the new coronavirus will exceed the commonly recognized safe distance. The paper also highlighted the risk that the virus could remain afloat even after the carrier had left the bus. The scientists warned that the coronavirus could survive more than five days in human feces or bodily fluids. So... Bye-bye, San Francisco. And uh, so that's important. I just wanted to confirm because there were some questions last night about how long it can survive on, say, hard surfaces. Up to two weeks is the latest research that I have seen. Up to two weeks on hard surfaces. And as they say here, five days in, in bodily feces and bodily fluids. Confirmed cases um, at the moment... Well, I mean, it's so hard to say. It's such a moving target, but um, 117,715 they have here. Oh, yeah, last updated, I guess, March 11th, so that's tomorrow where this is. 117,715 cases, 4288 deaths, and 64,315 recovered. Though, of course, recovery, if there's a 14% potential for reinfection, that's not great. So, yeah. By the, so this bus ride, by the time the bus stopped at the next city, the virus had already jumped from the carrier to seven other passengers. This included not only people sitting relatively close to patient zero, but also a couple of victims six rows away from him, 4.5 meters away. So that's, that's not great. A couple of other things, and then I will, um, of course, if you have questions or, or comments, I would be happy to share those. So, 
the case, so the, the increase seems to be declining in, in certain places. That's good. That's good. How much you want to take that seriously is obviously everybody's choice. But the fake decline, so within China, there has been censorship of Lai Wenlang and bearers of bad news, a history of manip manipulated statistics in other contexts, and the World, Horth Health, World, Horth uh, sorry, the World Health Organization may have seen what are called Potemkin villages. So Potemkin villages are when the um, communist sympathizers, largely at the New York Times, were touring Stalin's horrifying Russia. In the 1930s, they were shown to these villages with, like, happy workers that had all been dragged out of the gulags, fed up for two weeks, and then told to smile for the cameras. We, we know, of course, with China that there's a lot of fake economic data. China's economy is 12% smaller than official data, study uh, says, and so there is all of that mess. Now, Bernie Sanders... <laughs> Bernie Sanders' comms director today said they're canceling their rally tonight in Cleveland, saying in part, out of concern for public health and safety, we're canceling tonight's rally in Cleveland. All future Bernie 2020 events will be evaluated on a case-by-case -case basis. Now, this son of a bitch, this snake in the grass, this communist, was recently on television talking about, well, you know, I would never close the borders. It's open borders. It's important. Got to have open borders. But when it comes to his supporters, his rallies, <laughs> Man, that, uh, well, that shuts pretty tight and pretty damn quickly, isn't it? So a man from Wuhan is revealed, has revealed that hospitals are kicking out cancer patients to make room for people with the coronavirus. He says, the idea that the so-called outbreak is under control is a joke. Fifteen of his friends and relatives in Wuhan are confirmed to have coronavirus. Three of them have died. Uh, and Coulter has pointed out the average age of the coronavirus dead in Italy, the country they're using to scare Americans with, is the average age of the coronavirus dead is 81. So that is, of course, important to, uh, to remember. And, of course, it is impossible. And people are criticizing Trump. You understand it's completely impossible for Trump to do the right thing. And I don't know if you've ever been in these kinds of impossible situations or had these kinds of impossible relationships. Trump, if Trump goes, quote, overboard, so to speak, and, and closes the borders and shuts down flights, people will say he's destroying the economy. He's, he's putting people out of work. He's, he's fear-mongering. He's paranoid, right? So, right? And then, of course, if you take those radical steps and then the virus fails to spread, then everyone says, well, he overreacted. There was... Nothing to be worried about anyway. If he underdoes it, then the virus is going to spread, and then people say, well, he didn't act decisively enough, and he should have, you understand. When it comes to the media, he's never going to get a fair shake. It's like looking for a positive or even reasonably neutral article on me. It's never, never going to happen. There are a bunch of psychos out there on the media, and so that is, uh, that is important. Now, of course, Trump has been pointing out, and you'll see this everywhere, well, the flu kills so many people, and uh, this, there's only a couple of deaths and so on. It's like, yeah, but, but this is a new virus, right? So there's no sort of built-up immunity. We are um, epidemiologically naive, to use the slightly technical phrase. Antivirals don't seem to work against it. There's no vaccine. And the mortality rate is 30 or so times higher than the flu. So, like I, I said this on Twitter— Coronavirus is the flu like a lion 
is a lap cat, you know. I guess they're still in the same family, but it's not really the same thing if you want something to pet rather than something that's going to, I don't know, take your head off, right? So my understanding is that the mortality rate for the flu is at about one in a thousand. And of course, at 3% for COVID-19, we're talking 30 in a thousand. So yeah, that's, uh, that's not that's not great. It's 0.1% mortality rate, right? So 40 million people call, calling the flu, caught the flu in 2018, 2019, 37,000 deaths. 0.1% mortality rate, 22 deaths out of a 546 detected cases of coronavirus is a 4% mortality rate. So that seems important. Now, Russia, boy, hard to imagine why the mainstream media doesn't like Russia or hates Russia so pathologically. Well, of course, they loved Russia when Russia was communist. Now that it's Christian and nationalist and anti-globalist, well, they just hate it to death, right? So Russia closed most of its border ports back in January, closed its 2,300-mile border with China, and uh, Russia has registered only 20 coronavirus cases, many of them Russians returning from Italy, and zero deaths. So that's interesting. Now, (laughs) something else, when it comes to Class battles and class warfare. This is quite, quite powerful. Of course, the rich people are saying, a lot of the rich people in the media are saying, you know, it's not that big a deal. Just go back to work. Keep working. But uh, when it comes to the rich kids themselves, well, they're canceling all classes at Princeton after spring break. Their kids can work online. So, yeah, you, you get back to work, but the rich kids are going to stay home. Israel announces anyone arriving from overseas has to go into quarantine for 14 days. Meanwhile, in the EU, as Paul Joseph Watson points out, it's open borders as usual. Well, that's because the media doesn't have to wake up tomorrow with... Sorry, that's because Israel doesn't have to wake up tomorrow with the mainstream media calling them racist and xenophobic for protecting their citizens. Now, again, when it comes to dealing with Trump and coronavirus, everybody has wet dreams about how wonderfully Obama would be handling all of this. But, of course, Obama let in... Ebola patients. And Ebola is even nastier, though not quite as transmissible, it seems. So, this is from uh, Silvia Stringini. This came out uh, yesterday. And uh, he says, uh, right, Silvia, uh, it's, a, it's a she, sorry, it's, a, it's an Italian name, it's always tough to tell. She says, I may be repeating myself, but I want to fight the sense of security that I see outside of the epicenters as if nothing was going to happen, quote, here. The media in Europe are reassuring, politicians are reassuring, while there's little to be reassured of. So this is, she says, it's the English translation of a post of another ICU physician in Bergamo, Dr. Daniel Marcini. Read until the end, quote, after much thought about whether and what to write about what is happening to us, I felt that silence was not responsible, irresponsible, I suppose. I will therefore try to convey to people, far from our reality, what we are living in Bergamo in these days of COVID-19 pandemic. I understand the need not to create panic, but when the message of the dangerousness of what is happening does not reach people, I shudder. I myself watched with some amazement the reorganization of the entire hospital in the past week, when our current enemy was still in the shadows. The wards slowly emptied, elective activities were interrupted, intensive care were freed up to create as many beds as possible. All this rapid transformation brought an atmosphere of silence and surreal emptiness to the corridors of the hospital that we did not yet understand, waiting for a war that was yet to begin and that many, including me, were not so sure would ever come with such ferocity. I still remember my night call a week ago when I was waiting for the results of a swab. 
Swap. When I think about it, my anxiety over one possible case seems almost ridiculous and unjustified now that I've seen what's happening well. The situation now is dramatic, to say the least. The war has literally exploded and battles are uninterrupted day and night. But now that need for beds has arrived in all its drama. One after the other, the departments that had been emptied fill up at an impressive pace. The boards, with the names of the patients of different colours depending on the operating unit, are now all red, and instead of surgery, you see the diagnosis, which is always the damned same bilateral interstitial pneumonia. Now explain to me which flu virus causes such rapid drama. Post continues comparing COVID-19 to flu, link below. And while there are still people who boast of not being afraid by ignoring directions, protesting because their normal routine is temporarily put in crisis, the epidemiological disaster is taking place and there are no more surgeons, urologists, orthopedists. We are only doctors who suddenly become part of a single team to face this tsunami that has overwhelmed us. Cases are multiplying. We arrive at a rate of 15 to 20 admissions per day, all for the same reason. The results of the swabs now come one after the other. Positive, positive, positive. Suddenly the ER is collapsing. Reasons for the access, always the same. Fever and breathing difficulties, fever and cough, respiratory failure, radiology reports, always the same. Bilateral interstitial pneumonia, all to be hospitalized. Someone already to be intubated and go to intensive care. For others, it's too late. Every ventilator becomes like gold. Those in operating theaters that have now suspended their non-urgent activity become intensive care places that did not exist before. The staff is exhausted. I saw the tiredness on the faces that didn't know what it was despite the already exhausting workloads they had. I saw a solidarity in all of us who never failed to go to our internist colleagues to ask, what can I do for you now? Doctors who move beds and transfer patients, who administer therapies instead of nurses. Nurses with tears in their eyes because we can't save everyone and the vital parameters of several patients at the same time reveal an already marked destiny. There are no more shifts, no more hours. Social life is suspended for us. We no longer see our families for fear of infecting them. Some of us have already become infected despite the protocols. Some of our colleagues who are infected also have infected relatives, and some of their relatives are already struggling between life and death. So be patient. You can't go to the theater, museums, or the gym. Try to have pity on the myriad of old people you could exterminate. We just try to make ourselves useful. You should do the same. We influence the life and death of a few dozen people, you with yours, many more. Please share this message. We must spread the word to prevent what is happening here from happening all over Italy. I finish by saying that I really don't understand this war on panic. The only reason I see is mask shortages. But there's no mask on sale anymore. We don't have a lot of studies, but is panic? But is it panic really worse than neglect and carelessness during an epidemic of this sort? So... The New York Post claims, of course, coronavirus is going to hit its peak and fall sooner than you think. And, you know, whether we find out this to be true or not, uh, we will see. We will see. Nations are closing borders. Stocks are plummeting. And the New York Times headline reads, the coronavirus has put the world's economy in survival mode. Both political parties have realized the crisis could severely impact the November elections. House, Senate, Presidency and Sacre Bleu, they've even shuttered the Louvre. But the spread of the virus continues to slow. And there have been, this is a little bit uh, um, 
yeah, this is two, two days ago. 18,000 Americans have died from the season's generic flu so far. In 2018, the CDC estimated there were 80,000 flu deaths. That's against 19 coronavirus deaths so far from about 470 cases. It's a little higher now, of course. So we'll see. We'll see the r naught. the spread of this illness, is very rapid. And that is a very big problem. And there's this funny thing. Okay, let, let me get all kinds of philosophical here because, look, you guys can look up the data too. I'm sort of trying to help by just gathering the information. Let's get a little philosophical here. And, and I want to hear what you guys think. If, if you're from Europe, probably not at this hour, but if you're in a place where this is going on, like, let me know. Let me know what's, uh, what's been happening for you. Let me know what it's like out there for you. But here are some things that I want to talk about. And I want to get your guys' thoughts on this, philosophically speaking. So, first of all, look, this idea, oh, well, it's only going to affect old people. Nope. No. Absolutely false. Even if, and it does seem to be the case, that old people, of course, are more susceptible. But the old people are soaking up the healthcare resources. Even if it does only, if, oh, you know, maybe it only really, really hits people over 65 or over 70. That's, but so what? They're still in there. Like imagine the scenario. Your kid falls down the stairs. You've got to take your kid. They're bleeding. They broke their arm. You've got to take them to ER. But all the beds are full and everybody's busy. And coronavirus is in the air. Oh, and by the way, you can't get any painkillers or medication or whatever because it was all sourced from China. There is, like, we're all in this together. It's like we're in a lifeboat and people are saying, well, you know, they're only drilling a hole in the bottom at that end, not at this end. It's like, yeah, but we're all in this together. The healthcare system is a house of cards designed for a particular predictable flow through. And that is not occurring at the moment. So let's have some compassion, please. Like, just have some compassion. And it's not the flu. It's about 30 times from what I've read, it's about 30 times more fatal than the flu. That's, that, that's a big difference. That's a very, very big difference. So please be careful. Now, there are some upsides to these kinds of situations, and it is important to remember that. It's not all doom and gloom, and there are some upsides. So let's talk about some of the ways in which this may actually benefit people in the long run. So when I was a software entrepreneur, I ran a team, about 30 people or whatever it was, I was in charge of this team. And I was fairly keen on sometimes working from home and uh, actually worked offsite during the R&D phase of developing the next versions of our software and so on. And I always found it surprising how hostile most of the board members and some of the, like the CEO was to people working from home. Because you can be productive working home. Sometimes you can be more productive working from home. So the fact is that there's this giant experiment in reconfiguring the economy that's going on at the moment. So people are having fewer face-to-face meetings, fewer driving across town, fewer flying to uh, give sales presentations, as I used to do like two weeks a month sometimes in the busy season. So The fact that people are reconfiguring their offices to have people work from home, the fact that they're doing more remote meetings, the fact that they're finding other ways than face-to-face to to get things done, if that works, and I think it will, 
it's going to be kind of tough to go exactly back to the way things were because people have gotten kind of used to working in their, uh, working away in their bathrobes like sticks, hex, and hammer style. So that's interesting. Flights are down. Travel is down. Congestion is down. Traffic is down. And if people find that this traditional model of gathering everyone together, beehive style, to all work at the same place, rather than relying on technology and working from home and so on, that could really, really change the economy. Because if the smaller, and it will be the smaller and more nimble firms that are able to do this more adroitly, those smaller and more nimble firms that can decentralize their workforce, who don't have to have necessarily the massive expense of you know big office and, and all of that, it's also so incredibly efficient to work from home because you don't have to have, like, it's like getting a raise because you're not putting wear and tear on your car or you don't, you know, bus pass, you know, gas and maintenance and all that kind of stuff. And you don't have as much dry cleaning. You don't have to change your clothes. You don't have to do as much laundry and all this kind of stuff that goes on. You don't have to buy your lunch out. You can eat at home. So I don't know what it would be, but to me, it's kind of like getting a 10 to 20% raise working from home. Now, if you can find ways to make this work-at-home thing work, and I work from home, so I think it can work, then the smaller and more nimble companies that can pull this off are going to start pulling ahead of the larger, less nimble companies that still have this old-school mindset of, we've got to have everyone in the same room because I don't know what they're doing if they're at home. Right? Right? So that's really interesting. Now, I hope that people, when they are... Faced with something like this, something like this big virus, this big fear, this big potential headcount of death, that y'all just are out there remembering kind of what's important in life, which is not just status. It's not just money. Hey, you know, we need money to live, and I, it's fine, right? Freedomain.com forward slash donate. You can see that on the screen. Really, really like it. If you could help out this show, I'd really, really appreciate that. But I hope it reminds you that it is your relationships that matter. It is those you love who matter. And if you get a jolt in this crazy hamster wheel of workaholism that defines a lot of the modern world, where you're like, oh, I got to get up and go to work and I got to put my kids in daycare and I got to do this and I got to do that. Why? Uh, government needs taxes. Uh, I'm collateral putting my children into debt down the road. I mean, all of this stuff that goes on. And I hope that people will remember how important it is to spend time with loved ones, to work on your relationships, to have great conversations, and not necessarily just be sprinting on to the next fishing lure, grab a buck scenario that, you know, you you, uh, you don't, you know, you can't take it with you, right? All, all the money that you have. Um, leave love with people, have connections with people, don't be so materialistic and work on connecting with people. It's an old E.M. Forster line, which I always loved. He wrote, uh, I guess he wrote the novel that, origi- uh, that eventually became a Merchant Ivory film. It's one of my favorite films called Room with a View. And E.M. Forster said, only connect, connect with each other. You know, that electric moment where you just really connected with someone and you bork brain it up in, in love. Just really focus on that. That is important. It's like when you get a big health scare. And you kind of zoom out and you say, okay, that's what they call perspective. And something like this is what they call perspective. And I hope that you will work on 
getting that. Now, yeah, Wuhan flu, guess what? It's the Wuhan flu. Come on. I mean, it's called the Spanish flu. It didn't even originate in Spain. It originated in China. So this ridiculous hysteria, I mean, when does this racism, fanaticism end? When, when does this cult of paranoid OCD racism when does it end? When do we just get to have normal conversations about things without offense and upset? Oh, it's so hysterical. I mean, it's funny, you know, because we look back at, I mean, I'm with, I'm with the great uh, Jesse Lee Peterson on this, the reverend. Jesse Lee Peterson doesn't really believe that racism exists. He thinks that people judge behavior is not racist, and I'm, I'm pretty much on, on those lines. And we look back in history and we think, oh my gosh, like how insane was it that there were all this witch hunting and witch burning that went on in Salem, Massachusetts back in the day? And how crazy were people that they, you know, saw witches everywhere? And it's like, well, how, how different are we with this like racists and Nazis everywhere? I mean, white supremacists and white nationalists are crawling out of the woodwork and they're in my jam. And <laughs> it's this is really is a really deranged and paranoid and dangerous state for society to be in. And I mean, yeah, does racism exist? Sure. Yeah, there are occasional racists out there. And there are Illinois Nazis, if I remember the Blues Brothers movie correctly. But as far as being a big force in nature, and a big force in society, I really, really don't. Uh, I really, really don't see it. So yeah, I just wanted to, uh, to point that. Yeah, vampires as well, just this general paranoia. You know, we, uh, we hear about these sort of primitive tribes in Africa or whatever who believe that the uh, albino is sent by the devil. And well, actually, just white privilege, I suppose. But um, yeah, we just have this weird thing where, but we can't talk about the Wuhan flu because that's racist. And it's like, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? Matt Groening, the guy who created. I, I was into Matt Groening. He used to, way back in the day, do a cartoon. It was in Now Magazine in Toronto, and it was called Life in Hell. And um, it was incredibly funny. And, and he's a brilliant, brilliant comic or comedian. And he said he was talking about different kinds of professors. And one of them was, I'm paraphrasing here, but one of the professors was, you know, the, the, the single factor explains everything guy, you know, that professor, one single factor. And it's like, if you really look about it, the rise and fall of so modern societies all depends on the price of aluminum. <laughs> Something like that. the single factor explains everything guy. And it is kind of a low IQ position to be in where you have a single factor explains everything. Disparities in outcome in society. The only thing that explains that is white bigotry and racism. It's like you realize that in the future you'll be the... <laughs> You'll be the aluminum guys. It's aluminum that determines everything in society, the price of aluminum. And uh, it's not going to look good. Uh, he was uh, brilliant. I, I remember I was a grad student at the time, and he had to meet the bitterest guy in the world, the grad student who never finished his thesis. And it's like, yeah, I did finish my thesis, but he helped scare me away from a, a, um, a PhD, which is, uh, <laughs> in hindsight, was a very, very good thing. All right. I've got a couple of other comments. I'll dive into some questions. I guess we'll call it a night for tonight because, um, well, it's important about being close to those you love. All right. See if I had anything else bookmarked that I wanted to, uh, to check on, to point out. Yeah. So the, yeah, crude oil. Oh yeah. So here's, here's uh, Jack Posobiec was talking about 
viruses named after places, and I don't think he included the Middle Eastern, the MERS, whatever it was, respiratory syndrome. West Nile virus, Zika virus, Ebola virus, German measles, Spanish flu, Marburg virus, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, worst ice cream flavor in the place, norovirus, Stockholm syndrome, not really a virus, but Lyme disease, Wuhan virus, all named after places. But now it's racism. And you got, like, when you hear this racism cry from people, you got to just really get that they are not well in the head and they're seeing witches where there are but maidens dancing around a maypole. They are like, witches everywhere! Your cousin is a vampire! Like, this, the racism thing has become that completely uh, insane. There is a, this is from March the 6th, American Hospital Association best guess epidemiology for COVID-19 over the next months. Now, just to be aware, uh, this, is a, um, uh, this is a single professor whose views do not represent the entire American Hospital Association, but this is what he's, uh, he's saying. So, so he's saying, let me just sit here. Um, so R0, 2.5. So one person affects 2.5 others, doubling time, 7 to 10 days. Community attack rate, 30 to 40 percent. Cases requiring hospitalization, 5 percent. Again, that's lower than Italy, but I think Italy has just about the largest population of elderly in the EU. Cases requiring ICU care, 1 to 2 percent. Cases requiring ventilatory support, 1 percent. CFR, I'm not sure what that is, 0.5 percent. Community epi wave, two months. U.S. 96 million cases, U.S. 4.8 million admissions, U.S. 1.9 million ICU, U.S. 1 PPV, U.S. 480,000 deaths. I think that's obviously what I know. I mean, this is what guy, one guy says. So that's uh, one slide in a leaked presentation to, uh, to, 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 to hospitals. EpiWave two months refers to the level, the length of the epidemic wave, meaning those, these estimates are for total cases in the U.S., not just cases over the next two months. Still quite disturbing. Now, I don't want you to inform me when you've updated the site. One slide in, this is from uh, March the 6th, one slide in a leaked presentation for U.S. hospitals reveals that they're preparing for millions of hospitalizations as the outbreak unfolds. Hospitals are confronting the rising threat of the novel coronavirus in the U.S., the spread of the coronavirus outbreak in the U.S. could push the healthcare system to its limits. In a February webinar presentation hosted by the American Hospital Association, an expert laid out best guess estimates about how many Americans could be impacted, which is what I had just uh, read about. And the slide does not give a particular time frame. And, you know, it's funny, too, because security has a lot to do with imagination and and projection and of course things aren't that bad and people say well the numbers aren't that bad who knows like maybe people are going to freak out and they're going to self-quarantine and they're going to wash their hands like crazy they're not going to touch their faces like maybe just maybe this thing can slow be slowed and and just become the general background part and of of the human landscape and then there will be some sort of vaccine that is developed and it won't continue to mutate as it has really split into the more and less dangerous kinds and maybe just maybe this is going to work out hunky-dory. And then, of course, people will be saying to me, ah, thou wast fear-mongering 
O bald, speckly one, <laughs> thou wast fear-mongering the fair people of these good lands with terrifying fears of vampires stalking in the form of viruses, the human landscape, and thus lead did they fail to materialize. In which case, well, A, yes, great, I'm completely overjoyed to be wrong in all of this. And B, you know, <laughs> sometimes when um, you tell the truth about what could be coming, well, you, you, you change. You change what's coming, right? That, that's a good thing, right? Like, if you, you know, some young smoker, right, you, you show them some guy smoking from his throat and unable to sing Charlotte Church's rendition of Amazing Grace, which is actually quite lovely, by the way. But, um, oh, you see, here's the picture of a healthy lung. Here's the picture of a diseased lung, right? And this is what your lungs are going to look like in the future if you don't change your ways, right? And so all of these numbers could be, well, if people don't self-quarantine, if they're not scared, if they don't avoid large crowds of gatherings, if they don't wash their hands religiously and so on, then, and so by, in a sense, not scaring people, but saying these are the very real potentials. If they fail to materialize, it could be because the estimates are just completely wrong, or it could be because the estimates were right, but people were alarmed or, or informed into different actions. And that is not a bad thing at all. All right. Yeah, I don't know about the... I mean, I've heard of colloidal silver, vitamin C, blah, 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 right? So we shall see. Yeah, China also is, you know... <laughs> I mean, there, there are many downsides to totalitarianism, but one of the upsides is, you know, if you want to control a... Um, a virus, and you've got your finger on everyone's social media pulse, uh, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. Um, the boomer virus can benefit millennials. A lot of boomers will be in their graves instead of collecting state money in retirement. Well, it's interesting. Interesting because um, the, the price of real estate, you think the price of oil and gas is going down? Boy, <laughs> price of real estate could go down. Not just because people might die, but also, you know, they may not recover fully or they may get hit with, with round two. And sometimes the second wave, I remember this from Albert Camus' La Peste, I think it was called, The Plague, um, that the second round of infections can sometimes be even worse. Charlotte Church, are you impotent? <laughs> oh, come on, she's a good singer. So interesting that you would mention CEOs and executives' deep fear and paranoia of working from home. Where does this come from? Well, so, okay, so this is very sort of briefly. Um, the, the, the pyramid, right, the pyramid of, of oligarchical organizations within business, you know, the, the org chart, you could say, right? So the people at the top of the org chart are usually in their... 60s, right? They're just, they've been around for a long time. They're working since their 20s. They got close to half a century under their belt. And they came of age in a pre-technological era or a pre-working from home era or whatever you want to call it, right? And so they're like, well, you got you to meet someone face to face and look them in the eye. Why? Because they didn't grow up with FaceTime, right? In the same way they'd have stable relationships because they didn't grow up with Tinder. But anyway, so when you get people at the top one of the reasons why companies regularly fail is when you get people who floated up to the top, they have kept up with their business skills, but it's really hard to keep up with technological skills. And so, like, I've had to do some programming lately for my business, and uh, I'm just falling back on the stuff I did, like, 20 years ago. I mean, I've just, this is the way, I mean, I know how to do it. It's really efficient. I haven't 
you know, I'm using dao.recordset. <laughs> you know, if that makes any sense to people, it's like, it's way old stuff. Uh, but I just, I can get in there, I can get it done in, in half an hour, get the coding done that I need to get done, get everything updated, boom, bang, I'm in and I'm out, in like Flynn. And uh, um, so older people don't really get the whole working from home stuff and they just think everyone's sitting in their underbear um, surfing porn sites or something like that. And, you know, maybe some of them are, but the point is that you can find those people pretty quickly just based on... Uh, their productivity so and there is this thing too like you got to be there i need to keep my eye on you and there's this weird thing that if people are there and typing that they're working but if you kind of break down people's work it's small concentrated bursts of inspiration that are the major attraction and the rest of it is mostly just waiting for those bursts of inspiration to come so all right let's see here yeah smokers are at a much higher risk that does seem to be the case fortran <laughs> uh, cobol 74 was my first professional programming language uh please do check out the interview sorry well i guess yeah i've got an interview coming out with a great psychologist i think i'll put that out tomorrow i did a very funny show if i do say so myself uh i did a very funny show uh well actually officially we did it on sunday but it is um the dick show with Dick Masterson. It's a great name for a comedian, don't you think? But uh, please check out my debate with a communist. The title is, You Want to Put Me in the Ground? Stefan Molyneux Confronts Communist. It's the publisher of Zero Books. So please check that out. Also, the, the show is called Check Out the Dick on Molyneux Show. There's a little dash there for comic effect. So uh, these are two sort of fun shows. Well, one is pretty powerful where I basically say, so i your system wins, I'm going to get put in the ground, like you want me shot, or your system is going to want me shot. So um, I hope that you will check out those shows. Let's see about any other questions, because I completely lost my train of thought. And when I lose my train of thought, or it gets derailed, the best place to go is to the wonderful listeners. Yeah, listen, honestly, be careful with uh, just putting out all of this stuff, like here's how you cure coronavirus, like, you know, People might, uh, I just watched The Dick Show. Good show. Well, thanks very much. Yeah, Bernie is quite rich. Uh, your thoughts on numbers in Canada going up every day. In Quebec, it's crazy how it's spreading. Yes. Call-in shows. Yeah, so I'm going to be resurrecting the old-style call-in show. So back when I had this producer named Mike a couple of years ago, uh, we did a call-in show. And um, I haven't really worked on those in a sort of concentrated way. I've done sort of one-on-one -on -one calls since he left which is that's coming up for a year and a half now, I guess. But um, if you are subscribed to me through Subscribestar, and, you know, that sounds like a big burden, you can do it for as little as three bucks a month. Like, honestly, it's 10 cents a day. It's, you wouldn't even miss it, I promise you, right? Or, or if you would, please don't subscribe, but get some food. But um, if you are there, then on the discord server that's wired into Subscribestar, we will be organizing a call-in show again so i hope that you will check that out uh yes the virus has been a godsend for central banks wanting to force us into a cashless society by scaring people with the potential for cash contamination i actually talked about that i think in my first show in early february but listen um society is is in a big mess largely because of a lack of education and a lack of leadership. So, look, we all know that the current economic system is ridiculously unsustainable. Like, 
not even close to sustainable. Now, you could get people to make sacrifices to pay down the national debt, to claw back some of the unfunded liabilities that in America alone are currently standing at well north of $150 trillion or close to 10 times the annual GDP. But people don't have any sense of the sacrifices that are needed based upon the borrowed excesses of largely the boomer generation. So if you had a leader who was able to stand up there and bring people up short and say, this is absolutely wrong. It's absolutely unfair. We're enslaving our children to banksters all over the world. And it's predatory. It's vampiric. It's monstrous and it's horrible. And we got to stop it. Like everybody knows this. We've been ignoring this for a while, but we can't. Like it's, it's absolutely wrong now. And you, if you had a leader who was able to rally people to that cause, you know, to, to make it like there was this ridiculous thing, uh, whip inflation now, win under uh, Carter, I think it was, when they had this mystery stagflation, well, it wasn't really a mystery to the Austrian economists, but mystery stagflation of the 1970s, when you had economic stagnation and inflation at the same time, which was never supposed to happen, according to Keynesian theory. But there was this whip inflation now, and it was like, we're going to deal with inflation, we're going to beat inflation. And there was this kind of moral crusade, you know, like the war on poverty or the war on drugs or whatever. But the war on debt, the war on deficits, doesn't really seem to be cranking everybody's happy levers, but you need a leader up there who's going to explain why sacrifices are going to need to be made, why this happy, joy, delusionary ends up in a French Revolution style Weimar Republic money printing orgy fest of unreality, it's better to have a soft landing than a hard landing. Like if the, if the, uh, if the landing wheels are wedged upwards in your plane, you still want to land on your belly rather than your nose, right? You don't want to go down in a death spiral JFK Jr. style. So we don't have that leader. I mean, Trump's a pretty good guy in a lot of ways, but we don't have that leader who's willing to say, oh, come on. Like, there was actually one back, back in the day, Ross Perot. Well, I don't, it's true, I don't have much experience creating a $20 billion debt <laughs> back, back, back in the day, right? And he had all these people made fun of him. And, you know, the SNL bastards. I mean, the, the, the Saturday Night Live bastards who just, I mean, it's so politicized. It's so one-sided. It's so court-toady, snarky shit that they, they put out. It's absolutely re repulsive, re revolting, and, and so destructive. But back then, they made a lot of fun of Ross Perot. And Ross Perot was a businessman who tried to take on the establishment and, um, and lost. And to some degree, he lost because of Saturday Night Live, making fun of, oh, he's got a nasally voice, and he's got a bit of a, an accent, so, and he's got these graphs. You know, like how that uh, complete asshole Matt Damon came out and made fun of Brett Kavanaugh when Brett Kavanaugh was being lied about by Blasey Ford about all of these horrible things. And that complete clusterfrack of a human being known as Matt Damon came out and mocked this poor victim of the Democrat smear and life destruction machine. Because, you know, he's just, he's just funny. He kept calendars from the past. And that's, ha, oh, oh, such trashy, trashy, garbage non-humor. But... Um, yeah, there was a guy who started talking about the national debt, and uh, he got crap joked into oblivion, and um, it just got it just got worse. You know, like uh, the guy who was talking about rivers of blood if England opened up all of its uh, borders to uh, immigration from around the world. Uh, you know, he took it in the nads for his career, and then nobody else came along to do it as well. So.
All right. Let's see here. Do you live in Ontario right now, Steph? When, all, when will all hell break loose in the GTA? Yeah, you know, it still seems it still seems kind of unreal, doesn't it? I mean, I saw, you know, it's like living online and then you look out in the world. It's like reading all of this Marxist theory about oppression and sexism. And you go out in the world and it's actually well, not so bad. All this racism and you see people of every race chatting around together and all that. So, so yeah, it is uh, Enoch Powell. That's right. Yeah, no, he was he was right. That's coming, man. That's coming. So, um, it is. Uh, it's hard to picture, but absent anything, absent anything remarkable, the um, the uh, the R naught is a two point five or whatever is going to be is kind of uh, irreversible at this point. So it's just going to have to peak and, and fall. Perot was threatened, asked Chip Tatum. I've heard of that. Was his, his daughter's wedding or something threatened? I've heard about that, but I don't really know much about, about that at all. Uh, somebody says, uh, Bob Jones says, COVID-19, 5% become critically ill. World Health Organization defines critical as respiratory failure and or multiple organ failure. Kind of important definition no one talks about or understands. I will have to... Take your word for it. Worm Turner says, I wear my condom everywhere I go. You can take my lungs, but not my penis. Uh, pretty sure your penis needs the aerators in order to get the aerated blood to rise, uh, if I remember rightly, above your eyebrows while standing. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, get Andreas Antonopoulos on again. Um, I think he turned against the show. I'm not sure if I remember rightly. I've done a couple of interviews with Vox Day, if you want to check them out on the show. I cannot believe Stefan is afraid of shaking hands. You know, it's funny. I, um, <laughs> it's a little, I don't actually like shaking hands, really. Here's the thing. So nobody's hand is the right temperature. It's either kind of warm, in which case you wonder if they've just been wiping their ass, uh, or it's kind of cold, in which case you feel like giving them a hug and an electric blanket. It's too weak, in, in which case you feel like you're breaking their bones and it's like grabbing a pair of half-frozen pickup sticks and you're going to shatter them or it's too strong from some guy who wants to show you how dominant he is and therefore he wants to turn your hand into uh, he's doing like the grip the Schwarzenegger style grip exercises with your hand it never works out it's almost impossible to get a good handshake that is satisfying and so yeah I'm not a big uh, are you in good health Stefan you look thin uh, no I mean I'm uh, you know I mean I'm in my uh, I'm in my, I guess, into my mid fifties, so I appreciate that. But no, I'm in, I'm in great health. I um, have taken up a new sport, and um, boy, I'll tell you this, boy, nothing, nothing gives you. It's not a new sport; it's just a sport I haven't played in a long time, and nothing gives you a passage of time situation like trying to use muscles you haven't used in like 25 years. It's like, oh, everything hurts. So, but yeah, I am in good health, and thank you for your concern. I appreciate that. Yeah, also how much testing is there, that's important as well. I appreciate that. Uh, shake penises, it's sanitary. Well, I guess everybody has their pickup line, I suppose. Bitcoin is a screaming buy right now. Uh, yeah, well, I, you, didn't, you didn't effing go vegan, did you? No. No, it's just, um, you know what it is? It's just, uh, you just got to keep peeling stuff off your diet. So I'm just pulling more and more stuff off uh off my diet in general. So YouTube censorship sucks. That is true. Didn't they just ditch Edward Dutton? 
Not good. Not good. Bow to people like the Chinese do. Yes. Do I have little hands? I tell you, um, uh, you know, when I was learning to play guitar, it was, uh, it was like missing those giant Brian May spider fingers because those can be really helpful when you play guitar. So. Are you going to invite JF? So this is JF Garyappi. Uh, on the show, we have been talking. I'm, I'd like to get a good debate. I, you know, I hate to sound all kinds of puffed up and trash talky and all that, but I'd like to be uh, more challenged to debates. Like, I mean, I did one with uh, Vosh. Uh, I did one with the guy from Zero Books. I can't remember his name. Uh, I did one with Mac McManus, who I can remember his name. And um, the Matt McManus one is on their uh, channel, on the Zero Books channel, Zero, uh, Zero, Z Z E R Zero Books. And you should uh, check it out. And um, I would just like uh, like to get more of a robust and challenging debate. And it just feels like I ended up having to explain inflation using oranges and coins with uh, my last guy. Like he's been studying this stuff for, I don't know, he looks like he's in his 50s. So he's been studying this stuff for 30 years, but has no idea that inflation refers to an increase in the money supply. And that's not even controversial. There is always that one guy who tries to crush your hand. Yes, that's true. Any thoughts on Toby Robertson? Uh, yeah, he should move to Poland. All right. Do you have a mentor? I don't actually have a mentor. Um, and I think by the time you're in your 50s, you shouldn't have a mentor. You should be a mentor, as I believe I might be for some people around the world. Worried about the nonchalance of the Canadian government to this virus? Okay, I'll tell you a little story which will make this clear. So when I was at Glendon College, I was in a play. I was in a whole bunch of plays, but one of the plays that I was in, I had to play a guy who had a massive stroke halfway through the play, and then his left side was paralyzed. And I had a really proactive, this woman was a director, she was a really proactive director, and she actually uh, puts, put... Um, duct tape all over my face and the left side of my body so that I have a body memory of not moving anything or having it all stiff and problematic and so on. And she's a really good director, actually. I liked her a lot. She was a very kind of flaky, kind of woo-woo, a little bit on the goth side, but very committed to the work that is necessary to have a good play come out of it. Anyway, so I played in the play with myself, uh, with this woman who, she was actually funny. She had a part-time job as... Um, she um, would answer and give people's horoscopes and she just like, she never had any training in it. She just, you know, was an actor. She could make stuff up. She told good stories. She told people to be positive, put out a little bit of pop psychological advice, I'm sure. But a very, you know, very good actress, really committed, man. Um, and, but the guy, there was a guy I played with. Oh, I, I'm a, I'm a pretty easy to get along with person. I'm, I'm not volatile. I'm not moody. Uh, the only time I can get a little kvetchy if I'm really hungry or I'm really tired, I'm a little kvetchy, but I'm pretty easy to get along with. And this guy, I don't know, man. Oh, I just didn't like this guy. And it wasn't like he was some mean guy. You know what he was? He was these kind of guys. I had a friend like this when I was uh, in my teens as well. Didn't last very long, the friendship. But he was the kind of guy you'd sit in the room and he was always figuring out how he could be superior to you, like how he could, like where you were in the pecking order, how he was higher up in the pecking order and how he could damn well maintain that position in the pecking order. Never authentic, never honest, never direct, never guard down, never open, nothing like that. And uh, I mean, he was playing a character who was kind of like that and, you know, 
as my therapist once said, you know those actors? They're not acting. <laughs> and I disliked this guy so much that I became resistant to even doing the play. Like I just, my skin crawled when I was in the room with the guy. And it's one of the few times that's ever happened with me in my life where I've just disliked someone. So, and she had to sit down and try and work it out. And we, we gave it a shot, but it's just like, man, I really dislike you. And he's like, yeah, I pretty much feel the same way about you. And it's like, okay, well, I guess we got to work together. So <laughs> let me shake, let me shake hands by body slamming you. So, um, the director had to sit down with me and tell me that she said, look, the play opens in a week. The work you've been doing is fantastic, but you've turned against this play. You're no longer behind the success of this play. Now you dislike this guy so much, you want the play to fail so he looks bad. In other words, you're willing to self-detonate your own acting in order to make him look bad. And I had to sort of say, you know what, that's there's a reason you're the director. That's astute. That's, that's right. That, that is what I'm doing. And she said, look, you don't have to like him because your character doesn't like him. So that's fine. That you don't have to act that. But you do have to love the audience, and the audience deserves the best. And, you know, listen, I'm a, not a bad actor uh, when I put my mind to it. And when I auditioned for the National Theatre School, they take one out of every, whew, so 16, they take 1% of people. Yeah, that's right. 1,600 people apply, they take 16, and I was one of them. So, you know, I'm in the top 1% of actors, at least back then, and so on, right? So... The reason I'm saying all of this is the Canadian government under the Liberals, and this is true of the Democrat Party, it's true of the NDP in Canada, it's true of the Democrats in the US, it's true of Labour in the UK, it's true of the government in France, it's true uh, every place where there are globalists, every place where there's an anti-nationalist thing everywhere, where there are anti-white, racism, hysterics, and so on, open borders, endless welfare state, and all of that, those people have the same relationship to their countries that I had to that play. They have turned against their societies, and they want those societies to fail in the same way that I was, and even if it harms them, right, that's how much hatred they've become consumed by. And I had someone tell me the dangers of this. And again, it was like, I, I think I've maybe had four or five people literally my entire life that I've ever felt that way about. And this was the only time where I had to stay in that person's orbit. But, well, there was one other time in business, but that uh, one, one story is enough. And so, the, and Merkel, right, she's turned against Germany. She's t she, she wants Germany to fail. She wants Germany to fail. Macron wants France to fail. The Labour government wants England to fail. Even the Conservatives are pretty much down that road at the moment. And, and the Liberals, they want the current system to burn to the ground. They want Canada to fail as it stands. And they, the left clearly, I mean clearly, the Democrats want America to fail in its current situation. And they welcome whatever causes it to fail. 
whether it's mass migration where three quarters of the illegals and a lot of uh, the majority of the legal immigrants end up on welfare, that is burdening the bridge so it's going to fall for sure. They have turned against the countries that they live in. They're no longer interested in having the system work as it stands. They wish, they desire, they thirst for the system to fail because the communists have done a great job of infiltrating all of the major organs of Western society and are just broadcasting this anti-Western, anti-free market, anti-Christian, anti-European, anti-white message from here to eternity. And they've turned a lot of people in, so they just want to have it fail, for sure. Would you like to return to Ireland to live for retirement? Retirement? <laughs> retirement? You don't retire from something like this? Are you kidding me? Um, not really, no. Uh, no, I'm afraid I know... I know too much about Ireland now. Uh, look what's just happened to Tommy Robinson's daughter. Yeah, it's, it's really bad. It's really, really terrible. How do I make money? It's a big goal of mine. It's a good question. It's a good question. The way that you make money is actually quite simple. <laughs> just be willing to do what other people aren't willing to do. Be willing to work late, be willing to study harder, be willing to work harder, be willing to learn more skills, be willing to do what is difficult, be willing to deal with difficult people, be willing to confront people, be willing to do, like when everyone else is running away from something, you be the guy running towards it. Now, if you can, can combine that with actually adding value, which I'm sure you can, then you will make, uh, you will make money. All right. I'm a Swedish woman, still a virgin at 27, never had a boyfriend, despite being tall, blonde, and receiving much attention. Not religious. How can I change my life and be open to love? You know, it's funny because I said this last, call me. It's like, call me. I'm happily married, but I'd be happy to talk about this with you in a call-in show. Yuri Bezmanov, yes, please check out his works. Thoughts on the market at this time? Well, that's, it's never going to go be the same again, right? So the Fed is going to dive bomb in. The Fed I mean, the 10-year the Treasury yields are already below 1% or they're hovering around 1%. In Europe, the uh, yields on bonds are negative, like they're so bad. <laughs> Imagine me paying you to watch this. I mean, it'd be terrible, right? It'd be a real indictment of everything. So the market, I mean, it is a bubble, without a doubt. And whatever pops it is not particularly relevant, whether it's coronavirus, whether it's um, the Saudis crashing the oil price, uh, whether it's the ripple effect of the airlines uh, who can't make any money, whether it's another crappy bailout for people who don't have enough savings to get over this kind of stuff. I mean, you should have savings. This, is, this stuff happens in life. There, there are viruses. There are bad weather events. There are political upheavals. Your taxes are going to go up because you vote in socialists or, you know, there's going to be financial upheavals. For God's sakes, people have some money set aside. But please have some food in the basement, have some money set aside and be able to defend yourself, all those kinds of good things. And so... Um, the market is going to go through a particularly big realignment and readjustment. And people are, there's an old cartoon, I can't remember it's from, probably from the Harvard Business Review. It's an old cartoon where there was a business that was heavily centralized, right? And someone said, we should really reap the division of labor benefits that come from decentralizing, right? And everyone's like, this man's a business genius. And then 10 years later, some other CEO says, we're too scattered. The supply chains are too far apart. We're going to reap the benefits of centralizing our operations. And everyone's like, this man is a business genius. <laughs> I still remember this. And, of course, that has a lot to do with how these modern economies work, is everyone says, hey, you know, we can get great economic growth by just allowing everything to be built overseas. 
And then what happens is everything gets built overseas. <laughs> and then what happens is, well, the cartels take over in Mexico and the Chinese government seems to have either produced or covered, certainly has covered up the release or spread of novel coronavirus and half the world could get sick. So let's decentralize. Let's, you know, take everything. Nothing could be better than relying on communist dictatorship for your medicine. It's brilliant. Division of labor, free market. Of course, it's not, right? I mean, just China just steals everything, right? I mean, so no, this is true of the Soviet Union as well. There was a book I read when I was younger called East Minus West Equals Zero about how much the Soviet Union just stole from everything. Oh, and by the way, oh, I'll do a whole presentation on this, but I've been reading up a little bit on how... Um, do you know slaves were punished for inventing labor-saving devices? They were actually punished and flogged for inventing labor-saving devices because it was considered to be lazy and they were lowering the value of slavery. So when I was talking with Vosh about the end of slavery being necessary for the Industrial Revolution, yeah, I was right. And he was wrong. Uh, not just the hairdo, but everything else. Jack Nicholson warned Jeffrey Epstein. I don't know what that means. Do you think they'll push forced vaccination with COVID-19? Ah, it depends. What's your preferred book on Chinese communism? I think, okay, so you've got to go to my um, Hong Kong documentary. So you can go to fdrurl.com forward slash Hong Kong and go for that. I've got, I think, all the sources down in there. Would you have Dr. K to talk about gamer addiction? So, you know, here's the thing. Like, I love you guys to death. And I, you know, for those of you who are new, who are joining this uh, live stream, I appreciate that. It's lovely to meet you. For those of you who've been around for a while, uh, let me tell you something, my friends. Be proactive. If you want, if you want someone to come on my show, be an entrepreneur. Make it happen. Like if you want me to, if you want me to deal with a particular topic, I mean, gosh, I don't know how to. Uh, here's my mentor thing. Okay, and this is uh, with all due respect, right? I mean, maybe this has never occurred to you, but I'm a, I'm a friend. <laughs> I'm a friend of you guys. Like, I want to get your information out there. But if you just send me a link saying, oh, here's a guy you should interview, the odds of me having the time to go and review all of that stuff and go and, and figure out if he's the right fit and whether he's got some thick accent or whatever it is, right? That's not impossible, but it's not very high. Now, on the other hand, if you want me to interview someone and you say, okay, here are his major positions. Um... Here's who he's interviewed before. Maybe you know some of these people. Uh, and, you know, here's five minutes of his best interview and uh, all that. Like, that's much more likely to, to happen. Like, if you send me an email saying that you want to do, like, a call-in with me, and you say, you know, I'm just not that happy in my life. Do you want to do a call-in? It's like, okay, well, maybe, but I don't want to sit there and have to ask you 20 questions, like if you give me, and, and if you give me five pages, the odds of me reading it, I'm like, I'm sorry, it's just, I might skim it, but it's pretty low. So give me something concise, here's what I want to deal with, and here's how I've tried to deal with it before, here's my Skype ID, and here's my availability in Eastern Standard Time. Okay, that's just much more likely to happen. If you want me to do a presentation, if you want me to do a presentation, you know, ideally, you could get me the presentation, just give it to me in PowerPoint. You know, with the sources, you know, we'll, we'll call. If I like the presentation, I'll give you a call. We'll talk over it. I've done this before. And, you know, you'll then have it go out to, you know, if you combine all my social media, what is it, close to 2 million people, right? Okay. So 
or, you know, if you want to do it yourself, do it yourself. But if you want to use me, I'm happy. Like if, if you've got good sources and, and you've got a good presentation, man, I'm keen to do it. I'm, I'm thrilled to do it. My producer used to put some presentations together. Uh, I've had listeners put uh, one or two presentations together that have been just excellent. There's just ways to make it happen. But to me, and see, here's the thing. I'm always gauging how important things are to people out there in the world. I, I can really try to figure out how important is this to you? Now, if it's not important enough to you to recognize my time is valuable, I get six billion emails a day, and there's things that you can do to make it more, um, make it easier for me to make a decision on, on this, right? But if you just say, oh, there's this guy from a gaming channel, you should have him on. It's like, I might make a note of it, but the odds, I'm being frank with you. Like, I mean, the odds of me following that up and blah, 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 you know, not, not super high. But, and, and you know, pester. Like, I'm, I'm serious. You know, sometimes people have bugged me five times in a row and it's like, okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, just, I hate to say, no, don't stalk, but, but persistence is, is fine. Stalking, bad. Persistence is fine. But there's ways to make things happen in this world if you care about something. Now, if somebody says to me, like a guy a while ago was like, man, you should really do a presentation on alcoholism. You know, people have, have um, died in my family from alcoholism and it's a terrible disease and it, it wrecks people's lives and all this kind of stuff, right? I'm like, wow, you really care about this? And he's like, I really, really do. And I said, listen, and he, he said all of these statistics. I'm like, man, if you've got all of this material, you've read all these books, man, I'd really appreciate it. Like if you want to get the presentation done, if you give me the first draft, man, that would be great. Now, I'm not asking for 20 hours of work, right? If you've already read the books and you've already got the stats, just, you know, maybe an hour, drop it in a presentation. It's a first draft for me to start working on that kind of stuff, right? And he just, oh, yeah, I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll get right on that. And, you know, nothing really happened after that. So does he really care about it? Mm. Eh. <laughs> well, not so much because I'm an empiricist, right? I judge people by what they do rather than what they say. So if he doesn't really want to do the present, like if he wants me to do the presentation, it's a lot of work for me. That's like two days or three days or four days of reading and research. But if you've got a topic, man, I'm telling you, if you've got a topic and you want me to do it, then... Seriously, give me, make it easy. <laughs> help me to help you. And this is true. There's not a lot of people out there in social media who will do that kind of stuff, but I have, and I'm thrilled to do it. And uh, I think I'm very much a one for the division of labor. If you've got a really a topic you're really passionate about, then give it to me in a format that's easy for me to, to record. And uh, it's much more likely to happen. All right. And this, this is not regarding me. It's just regarding life as a whole, right? Steph, do you think you made any mistakes in the debate with the communist? Um, well, you know, topics always come up that I could have been more prepared for, but, um, I, you know, I, I, was, I was half and half, right? So at the very beginning of the debate with the communist, I assume you mean the last one, he'd spent, I don't know, what was it, like 10 minutes listing off all of the, um, all of the uh, logical fallacies that, that were banned, right? That's very passive-aggressive, right? So saying to me, who wrote The Art of the Argument, which you can get at theartoftheargument.com, um, lecturing me about logical fallacies when I wrote a book on argumentation, it's kind of passive-aggressive. And of course, he wasn't lecturing me because he thinks he's going to do it. He was lecturing me because he thought I was going to do it. And then he got at hominem wrong. So I was part, half of me was like, oh, just tell this guy to shut up with the logical fallacies and let's get going with the debate. But then I thought, you know what, he's going to break these all anyway. So it'll be more fun if he does that. So, um, you know, I don't think uh, 
Um, my son is almost 10 and, and believes in fairy tales and Santa. Should you wise him up? Uh, do you really want, do you want, you want him to be told by you about reality or by his friends? Please write a book on parenting. It's the one thing you haven't written about. Mm. Yeah. Well, so that's an interesting uh, issue. I have a, a draft from some years ago. The problem is I get drawn into statistics and that's kind of a hole with no bottom because I want to have the data behind all of this. So I'm still mulligan over I will say you're a top-shelf debater. You listen, you rebut second to none. I've seen. Well, thank you very much. All right. Okay. All right. So, well, listen, guys, thanks so much for uh, dropping by. Um, sorry we can't, uh, can't stay longer. Oh, gosh, what time is it? 11.30. Yeah, it's 11.30 my time. I need my beauty sleep because I feel if I get enough sleep, my hair is going to grow back. And it, it probably will, but just it'll be one eyebrow. Anyway, so uh, thanks uh, so much, everyone, for dropping by. If you find the show so very, very helpful, then um, I would really appreciate you dropping by at um, freedomain.com forward slash donate one-time donations right there on the site. And uh, you can also hop on over to Subscribestar and you can subscribe. Bunch of tiers there, all enormously helpful. And that stuff's really helpful for me because it helps me sort of plan future spending if I have some sense of a base because, you know, the one-off donations can be just a little random. But um, you also get access to the private Discord server where I hang out and we chat sometimes and I certainly will get feedback there. You can help join in. We join into the call-in shows through that. And um, I use that for helping people with, uh, people can help me with debate prep. If that's a fun thing for you, it certainly is fun for me. So yeah, I love you guys to death. Thank you so much for dropping by. I'm going to do a graceful exit here. <laughs> never. It's never going to happen. And um, yeah, I'm sorry if there's still a couple of hiccups with the live stream. I will get it sorted. I promise you. But uh, that day was not today. <laughs> But it will be soon. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Freedomain.com forward slash donate. Have a great night. I'll talk to you soon.